It's Arrested Development. Anyong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I'm your host, Darren. Uh, with me today, I have returning guest, Amber Stewart. Hello, Amber. Her? And uh, today we're going to be talking about episode 11 of season three, uh, Family Ties. That episode title will become, the reference will become quite obvious as we go on. It was broadcast on the 10th of February, 2006. It was the second of four episodes broadcast that night. It is written by Ron Wiener. This is at least the second episode written by him. And it was directed by uh, Robert Berlinger. Um, who is a, a director, I think, of a number of different sitcoms. Uh, though this, I think, is his only episode of Arrested Development. Um, so kind of going out with the anti-penultimate episode of Arrested Development, <laughs> I guess, is not like a big start to a career. I, you know, like, but I, I guess at this point, you know, like um, Arrested Development being kind of so well established, I guess if you were just like a, a jobbing director, it'd be nice to put it onto your, um, onto your resume. Yeah. Um, he um he's directed like so many different tv episodes it'd be almost ridiculous to kind of list all of them but uh, you know examples of stuff that he's directed include bernie mac show uh, i think i recognize his name from the west wing at least um you know once and again empty nest kath and kim uh dharma and greg weeds sports night uh, Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Two and a Half Men uh, in recent years, Wizards of Waverly Place, um, uh, and of course, uh, Up All Night, the super successful, oh my God, yeah. well on it. <laughs> in its 25th follow-up. season now, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love Up All Night simply because it's it's the kind of like sitcom where it's like, it only ran two seasons. Um, and it was based on like a very strong premise. It was it was sold as like um, uh, if you know the writer Emily Spivey, who is the creator of it. She's written on a number of other sitcoms since, um, but she used to be a writer um, uh, on Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. for like nine years. Oh, she worked under she worked under Tina Fey, um, and basically that was you know that was like mostly her career. Um, she's since written for Brooklyn Nine Nine and Modern Family and, and Last Man on Earth. Um, you know, since Up All Night was cancelled. Um, uh, <laughs> but, like, her life as, like, an assistant to Tina Fey was the pitch for the show. Um, oh. You know, essentially, that's what it was meant to be, Up All Night, was how she, you know, how she how she worked with Tina Fey, you know, how Tina Fey was, like, a, you know, her boss and all that kind of stuff. So it the show was initially pitched as her being... Um, it was pitched as actually a three camera sitcom uh, where she, she would be called, where it was called Alpha Mom mm-hmm. and she would be like working on an SNL type show. But I, I and it was even produced by um, uh, Broadway Video, which of course is the, is Lorne Michaels production company. Um, and that was the original pitch. And then somehow when Maya Rudolph came in, you know, the idea was that Maya Rudolph's like character would only be in like maybe one or two scenes a week <laughs> and she would, you know, she wouldn't really be a big part of it. But then once you had Maya Rudolph working on your show, they decided to expand it so that the the, the stuff with Maya Rudolph would be half of the show and then the stuff with Will Arnett and Christine Applegate at home would be the other half. Mm-hmm. And then the show just be- became like a really weird... Because uh, it, 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 she was originally meant to be like... Um, a, um, like Oprah, right? Yeah, basically it was it was almost like Maya Rudolph's impersonation of Oprah. That was the yes. character, <laughs> <laughs> which is really weird. Uh, and NBC actually had two additional episodes in the first season, so it actually had a twenty-four episode order. 
And that's kind, you know, that's quite successful. Mm-hmm. Then for the second season, they got rid of the workplace. Like, um, it's worth noting as well that it went to being a single camera after it was set up as a multi-camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then it was a single camera. And for the second season, they got rid of the entire workplace element. Yeah. And and they brought in Luca Jones as um, as the brother of um, Will Arnett. Mm-hmm. And then the show basically just became a completely different show altogether. Yeah, it was like actively uh, gaslighting us. They're like, no, this is the way it always was. It like came back from yeah. break and you're like... What? <laughs> and of course, it's most well known because the final, the final pitch of the show was they had like a sixteen-episode order, I think, for their second season, oh, and it went on to hiatus after thirteen, mm-hmm. and they were going to come back with just three episodes where it would be a three-camera sitcom again, <laughs> and it would be told from the point of view of the baby. And, Why? And it was just crazy. And they, 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 ne- like. Both Christina Applegate and I think Maya Rudolph refused <laughs> to turn up on set to shoot the three camera version. Yeah. And so that's when they shut down production and they basically cancelled the show. Oh my God. But yeah, so it's it, it, odd that Robert Berlinger, you know, directed a few episodes of that mm-hmm. as well as directing this one episode of Arrested Development. Now I'm going to give you the summary for this episode, which is as follows. Michael hires a woman who he thinks maybe his sister, her services might just be what the company needs. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Buster's coma attracts the attention of a politician. And that's, I mean, a lot of these season three episodes are very unified around one specific kind of thing happening in the episode. Mm-hmm. And this A plot is basically about, you know, after the, in the previous episode, uh, Michael started looking for N. Bluth. Um, this is kind of more of an exploration of that. In the next episode, we'll kind of find out who N. Bluth actually is. <laughs> Um, oh, but and it turns out to not quite be who you think it is. But it, it, it like it, in this episode, um, you know, G- George Senior is is basically trying to say that it's a um, it's just a typo. Mm-hmm. And I, I like as well that officially it does mean that Michael's name is Nickel Blue. <laughs> um, and there is an interesting exchange about how you know this is when George Senior kind of realizes that he's. His son's birthday is close to Christmas, and he he doesn't seem to really know that that's you know like a a real thing. Um, <laughs> let's dive into the episode because basically the, these final four episodes kind of have. Um, so in the previous episode, Buster has gone into his uh, light to no coma, um, which <laughs> so sleep. Which, uh, I believe that yeah, the doctor the doctor described it as it may appear that he's just asleep. <laughs> Which I think is funny. Now, what's interesting is in the previous episode, Lucille basically wanted to keep Buster in that coma so he couldn't testify. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this episode, her she's changed her opinion slightly on exactly how how she wants that coma to be handled. Um, <laughs> but of course, we start with Michael. Um, he's found this picture, and he thinks that N. Bluth might be an older sister that they've never met. Of course, Lindsay sees a picture. Um, and she says, look at the beak on that bird. <laughs> um, which, if you know where this this is going, you realise that that's kind of her insulting herself. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there have already been allusions to um, Lindsay looking like a falcon whenever she put on the swimming cap. <laughs> I really wonder how they passed off the two of them as twins for so long. Like, sure, you know... At a certain point, girls and boys are about the same height, but then, like, puberty kicks in, and there are immediate differences. So, I maybe just people don't care, I think, is <laughs> the general gist of this. They're like, yeah, twins. I think the Bluths were well, were kind of wealthy enough that 
like people wouldn't really question it. Mm-hmm. And I guess obviously Michael would be going to the um, the academy that uh, Buster loves so uh, much. Ah, yes. God, what was that called? Um, oh, uh... I can't remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, <laughs> but he basically they probably went to separate schools so up to a certain point so mm-hmm. I don't know I mean I like as well how Lindsay says it could be a deformed neighbour <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of kind of weird you know and then obviously you know um, he's talking about that there's an account labelled N. Bluth um, you know her name is Nelly um, and obviously I, I like as well how Lindsay calls back to the the, the storyline where she says uh, do you remember when there was a mysterious Mr. F out to get you <laughs> and of course we get the Mr. F sting Mr. F. and Michael saying that was retard misguided <laughs> um, and when he says this is different this is M. Bluth we get a little musical sting <laughs> saying different, different. <laughs> different. <laughs> and I don't know why they did that but I just like it and then obviously you know this is where Michael says about asking um, you know George Senior point blank and he says, I can't stand to hear one more lie out of this family. And then in the distance, Tobias walks in saying, Oh, there's the woman I'm sexually attracted to. <laughs> and of course, Michael looks at Lindsay and goes, Okay, but that's the last one. Yeah, that's just a regular way to introduce yourself into a room, too. You know. <laughs> I like as well that Tobias, he, he's known, of course, for adding extra words where they don't need to be. <laughs> and where he says... Uh, Lindsay and I are planning a night of heterosexual intercourse and um, I like how complicated this gets so quickly when you know they had a disappointing attempt at lovemaking the narrator says Um, and especially when Lindsay says that you know she wants him to be more masculine and muscular and um, Tobias wants the same (laughs) um, which you know I guess reveals something about him and you know that night they decide, you know, that um, they're going to spe- they're going to plan a special night in seven or eight days, which Lindsay turns into a couple of weeks, and Tobias says three weeks, and then when we get back to the present, Lindsay says, "So we're going to go for it in a month," and Tobias says, "Starting at the start of next month," <laughs> and then Lindsay says, "And we're going to call it a thirty-one day month," and Tobias says, "Even though." This particular month has thirty days. Which is, this is like me starting a new like, like exercise routine. I'm like, you know, I'll I'll start it next <laughs> month so I get the full month. But like, let's call this one a different kind of month instead of how it's just they don't want to, <laughs> they just should not. Yeah, from what I can tell, because obviously this was broadcast in February, but um, if it had been broadcast, if the season had been you know um, broken up and broadcast as it probably should have been then this episode probably would have been broadcast sometime um, in April, Mm -hmm. which is obviously why they say the month has 30 days. (laughs) Even though, of course, February only has 28, so that makes this extra confusing if you were watching it in February 2006. It's a super leap year, Um, Darren. (laughs) Yes, I guess. Uh, And, of course, Lindsay already has prepared a list of wants, and Tobias has his list of cards. <laughs> True um, love, really. Both, yeah, well, of course, Michael says marital love can be so romantic. And as he says that, George Michael enters quite flustered because he had discovered earlier in the day that his mock wedding, and I like how the narrator phrases this, he says, was in fact as real and binding as the rice pudding the disoriented patients had thrown at them. <laughs> Gave, someone gave them rice pudding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't just find it. Well, because I, I, I guess obviously at weddings you throw rice. Yeah. So, but these <laughs> these seniors decided to throw rice pudding, which is not yeah. kind of a good substitute. So, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> don't have these fake marriages w- right before dessert is what I think <laughs> the takeaway here is. Um, and of course, um, I, I like here how George Michael, you know, he when when uh, Michael says he was talking about Lindsay and Tobias, he, he says, oh, of course, they're married too. And then he stops and goes, each other. Um, <laughs> which, which is a nice cover-up. There was actually a little bit more of the, the kind of marriage license stuff, but we'll get into that uh, a little bit later in the episode. And of course, Job just walks in. Everyone this morning is just walking into this uh, kitchen, just talk, starting conversations. Uh, and I like how Job says, I pity the fool who, who gives me a bunch of jibber-jabber about romance. And he says, my... Re- <laughs> a natural phrase from Job. <laughs> yeah. He says, my religious girlfriend just dumped me and for a simple misunderstanding. I mean, if someone was all- always asking you to embrace the Holy Trinity, what do you think they would they meant? <laughs> um, now, this, of course, is a, a storyline that essentially began after Anne split up with um, George Michael. And in mm-hmm. that particular episode, uh, Job kind of gave the example of the different types of uh, beauty contestants, uh, like beauty pageant contestants, and talked about how third place will kind of settle for someone like a magician. And obviously Anne finished in third place. This isn't like properly revealed until I think the final episode of the season. Yeah, it was like pretty late in the game. Yeah, where where George Michael goes round to see uh, to see Anne. Now, obviously, Job thinks <laughs> that the Holy Trinity means a three way, and <laughs> of course, each time that we go to the scenes where we see Job and this misunderstanding, uh, we see that one of the girls is exiting. And obviously, the other girl, the religious girlfriend, is actually the one who's left in the room with Joe. And it's always from Joe's point of view, so we never actually see who she is. Um, but, the, you know, the show obviously is dropping hints at this particular point, uh, much like it did with uh, Rita for the first kind of half of the season. <laughs> and I like how Job asks, uh, I mean, Job talks about how, you know, there's, God's going to show him a sign, something which obviously will call back to later in the episode but at this particular point job is asked by michael do you remember growing up with a sister and i like how job goes sister uh no i don't not really not ringing any bells and michael has to interrupt and go other than Lindsay, of course and job of course goes oh Lindsay," and (laughs) (laughs) michael decides that job might not be a good source of information on this particular information. Uh, this is where George Michael reveals to maybe that they're married. Um, and she wants to shred the marriage license, which because... Mm-hmm. That'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, because, because uh, the governator was... was uh, His face is on the license, basically. There's like, uh, there's like mm-hmm. a weird Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of background to this particular marriage license. Um, yeah. There was, a part of the cutscene had George Michael, when told that he, he needs to get rid of it, he says he's going to get it framed and then maybe says, throw it away. And he puts it in the drawer and then looks at her and says, oh, you want me to throw it away now? <laughs> Su- suggesting that George Michael is taking this marriage a little more seriously than maybe. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite funny, actually, that, you know, given all the kind of jokes that have been made about this particular storyline, that basically <laughs> George Michael kind of gets his wish and he finishes... The season married to his cousin. The true American dream. And I, I should point out as well that um, 
marriage between first cousins is not illegal in um, California. Hooray! Yeah, it's... USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a reason to dissolve a marriage. If you find out that you've married a first cousin unintentionally. If you remember, there is that episode of Community. Is it? Oh yes, they all go to the where, wedding and where... they're like, trying to be nice. Was that Community? Yeah, where Garrett and Vicky yes. end up finding out that they're second cousins. <laughs> Poor Garrett. When will he get a break? <laughs> it's so great because no, it's not Vicky. It's it's a different it's a different character. But it's Garrett and his um his girlfriend. They they end up finding out his wife. Should I say? Yeah. They end up finding out that they they both share the same grandma, and that obviously you know community. Also, the pilot directed by the Russo brothers. So, uh, kind a lot of um a lot of kind of the staff as well shared between the shows. So. Uh, sort of a spiritual sequel, I would say. Uh, but yeah, so obviously, you know, Cousins Getting Married, a rich vein of um, comedy. Well, Darren, you know, what's interesting is that I actually performed a wedding for two of my friends in California, where they live. I can promise that they are not cousins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, in California, before I, I made this joke before, like nationwide... Um, marriage equality was passed but like they didn't care if like a goat or a pygmy or whoever wanted to marry you as long as you had your paperwork in order you were good to go <laughs> they were like go ahead knock yourselves out like everything just had to be into the register not the registrar but into like the county office by a certain time and after that they didn't care who did what so i was like yeah this could happen this makes sense they didn't even need the premise of like the real priest to marry yeah. them it could have just been one of the patients <laughs> or even the doctor whoever whoever was there yeah um now of course this is where we get some kind of fun stuff between lucille and michael this is some of my favorite stuff that um jessica walters does um <laughs> where she talks about being bad and um, oh, yes <laughs> and <laughs> michael says um, you know, were you expecting someone else, one of your two daughters? And I look how Lucille goes, Oh, Lindsay and Tobias never visit. <laughs> and she starts doing that kind of wicked laugh. And says, <laughs> We're so bad. Yes. And then, of course, <laughs> when he goes, I actually meant Lindsay and Nellie, she goes, you call him that too? And then she goes, Oh, it's so nice to be able to talk like this. And I just love all the stuff that... <laughs> Jessica Walters does. She's so kind of like enthusiastic. This is really like the scene reminded me that I am Lucille at heart. Like this is how my friend and I talk. <laughs> Not about <laughs> our friends or family, but yeah, we're just like, oh, you know, that guy. And then we'll just burst out laughing like with this sort of, you know, insidious laughter. <laughs> we're like, hee hee hee, you call them that too. It's just, we have, we do have nicknames for several people. So we can gossip about them in the office. <laughs> and of course we find out that, um, you know, this is where we get the, the kind of computer thing. It's like this weird little running joke in this episode about computers. Uh, we find out about the uh, the Black Friday firings, um, <laughs> where where um, George George Senior has all the computers has all the computers from his work. We find out in flashback that you know George Senior he used to basically. I like I like when the employee says, "When do we get to see our fancy new office?" And George Senior's like, "As soon as you get your fancy new job, you're all fired." <laughs> And um, I like how the like the idea that like em their employees always basically unloaded all the computers from a rental truck, and the last thing they did was load them onto a rental truck just before they were fired. <laughs> um, and you know, George Senior's got this gigantic magnet, and he's basically running all the computers by this magnet to to delete them. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I guess kind of works. 
Although Michael points out that, you know, they have all the stuff backed up. Um, and this is where we get the first instance of, excuse me, Judge Reinhold. Which <laughs> I like how quickly the family, like, adopt these odd sayings from the show, you know. Um, oh, yes. And I like how when Lucille enters, her necklace flies off and sticks to the magnet. <laughs> and she says, that's not a real gold necklace, is it? And of course, George replies, well, it wasn't really your 50th birthday, which I think is a, a strong defense. Um, and then <laughs> this is where we find out, of course, that Lucille is not happy with Buster in his coma. Um, and <laughs> Lucille says, I've been trying to get him out of that coma. It's costing us a fortune. He's sleeping us dry. Which I think is a wonderful phrase. <laughs> you know, and this is where we find out that Buster is basically staying in his coma for the sake of his nurse, Adelaide, um, who's played mm-hmm. by Bronwyn Masters. Um, and she's in a couple of episodes, but she first appears um, in the film um, Love Indubitably. Uh, like Yes. In a, like playing the nurse character with Buster, um, mm-hmm. you know Tony Hale with like a kind of chin prosthetic and a nose prosthetic, playing a, a British soldier uh, in the episode "Not a Pussy," and I mm-hmm. I think it's quite funny that they've got her here in the present, essentially playing the same role as though she's like an ancestor of this, um, you know, fake character from a film. <laughs> she t- she wants him to talk, but if he didn't, it would ruin everything. And that is basically why he's stuck in this kind of catch-22. And I-, I like that the narrator sums it up by saying she found his complete lack of personality and movement enchanting. <laughs> um, and and uh, this is where, you know, Michael asks about who M. Bluth is. And he says, not a Nick or a Nelly. And then, of course, George goes, just the one who married Lindsay. And then Lucille goes, isn't it fun to talk like this once more? Um, As both her and and George Sr. laugh about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, again, this is essentially me and my friend. Like, we're just evilly laughing together. So it's it's fun to be my friend is the point I'm making here. (laughs) Of course, uh, we get back to the office and everyone is paranoid because all the computers have been taken. (laughs) And, you know, Michael has brought the old machines out, out of storage and he says they've seen better days but i'm sure they're all functional like tom here and tom of course goes i'm 30 <laughs> michael just goes you're kidding um <laughs> and i i like as well that you know michael's computer has been swapped out for an old one uh for mm-hmm. a, a ky pro as tobias lets us know and we have <laughs> job's program uh which is done in basic and i can't mm-hmm. remember what it says for the life oh, it's like Penus, like P E N U S. Oh, penis. Like just yeah. repeated over and over. Yeah, it's isn't it ten? Um, I don't know ten print penis, and then tw- like twenty go to ten. If anyone remembers yeah, basic, terrible. you'll remember those those wonderful programs where you just had to do a go to, and it would repeat <laughs> for infinity. He also finds um, Nelly with like a kind of a green screen advert with a number, and of course, as Tobias enters, sweaty from the gym. He says you can't get any moisture on these babies. And as he does, all his sweat hits the computer. And of course, <laughs> it, 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 the screen just stops working. And, and I like how Tobias says print screen, which is what Michael does, which, you know, that actually solves his problem. But on a dot matrix print, printer, it takes a, a long time to print out. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and of course, Tobias says, you know, they didn't know it's because we're all so jacked up on Amal and disco music is <laughs> 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 a very specific joke. Um, oh god! And I like how he says, "I'm gra- I'm glad about this printer lag because I was hoping to have a jaw session with you." <laughs> and, and Michael goes, 
as long as that means a tour. (laughs) (laughs) This is where we get a kind of classic misunderstanding where Tobias talks about how he's attracted to a woman named Michael. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, he doesn't say it's a woman named Michael. He just says Michael. And (laughs) Michael goes, you're married to my sister. And of course, you know, Tobias just thinks that Michael is angry because Tobias is talking about, you know, being attracted to someone else. Uh, whereas, of course, Michael is angry because he thinks Tobias is attracted to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I like how kind of Tobias uh, phrases this where he goes, he goes, funny how your mind went there. And he's like, um, he goes, I'm talking about a lady. And uh, I mm. like how where he, he's like, um, he's like, uh, am I flattered? Yes. Today, I'm busy. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just a great exchange and of of course um you know this is where he's talking about uh, a trainer at the gym um and she's a bodybuilder um and of course michael points out that tobias is basically nervous about being intimate with lindsay again michael like tobias like <laughs> he says i'll tell you if i wasn't so dripping and disgustingly sweaty right now i'd hop over this desk and give you such a hug and then of course he goes uh coulda shoulda woulda and <laughs> michael kind of <laughs> In in a in a rush to get out of the room and away from Tobias's sweat, he kind of rips the thing off and he he basically um you know doesn't have the final number and he he looks at it and he goes well it would have been a seven and he just kind of <laughs> exits quickly, um and this is where we get the introduction of uh, Rob Riggle as <laughs> Representative John oh Van Heusen. Um, and I like I like how I mean this is such a kind of sharp parody of. Um, I guess the pro-life movement, you would say? Or... Definitely, yeah. Any yeah. pro-life conservative kind <laughs> of uh, politician, especially when he says, like, death is wrong in all of its forms, except lethal injection, <laughs> but that's just as a deterrent against more death. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I like how... that works. <laughs> I like how carefully framed his, 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 like, decision on when people should be killed is. Um... <laughs> And I like as well how he has this balloon that he holds over Buster's face. And he yes. just keeps going, hey, we're having a blast. And Buster kind of puts on this kind of like vacant smile. Yeah, like what the hell? It was really <laughs> creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is where we find out, um, you know, that there was an anonymous tip to the representative from someone who cares about Buster's life, to which Lucille says, not ringing any bells. <laughs> <laughs> so vicious. Yeah, and of course, um, you know, this is where we find out that um, Buster was the one who rang in and said they're trying to kill baby Buster. And he says, that's right, from the videos. Um, <laughs> which, of course, when, when, the, um, when the, 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 um, the Guatemalan painters were in, um, were in, the, were in the apartment... Uh, they did make fun of uh, Buster crying for his mother's milk. So uh, I don't <laughs> oh, know what God. was going on with those Busters. The the, the uh, titles of the Buster shorts, I'm sure I will list. I will have listed in the in the previous episode, but they're where well, they're quite funny, um, mm-hmm. because a lot of them are kind of emphasise how kind of Buster has been coddled. Um, <laughs> of course, Lucille says no one's called him Baby Buster since high school, which suggests that Buster. <laughs> did not have an easy time at school basically um and of course michael when he calls the number that he got from the printout he gets in contact with frank a colleague of the woman known as nelly and this is the reintroduction of a character who i'm sure everyone loves but we won't find out the the kind of twist to it until towards the end 
Um, but I'm sure people can recognize the voice straight away um, uh, as he tells Michael that uh, she's working a software convention at a hotel. This, of course, brings us to uh, the reason that the episode is called Family Ties, um, <laughs> which is um, Jason, uh, Jason Bateman's real-life sister, Justine Bateman, who I believe was an actress on the 80s TV show Family Ties, mm-hmm. um, along with um, Michael J. Fox, famously... Um, when he got the um, when he he did uh, Back to the Future, he he worked four days on Family Ties and three days on Back to the Future. Um, oh wow! So, so he would do like because um, obviously I think they re- they recorded on uh, on like a Friday night, so he would do like Tuesday to Friday on Family Ties, and then he would go straight to the set of um, Back to the Future, and he would do the weekend and Monday. And then he would return to Family Ties, and he did that for like five months of his life. Oh my when... god! <laughs> yeah, and considering as well that this, uh, like, uh, 1985 was the year when he got his um, Parkinson's diagnosis as well. Uh, so obviously that put a certain amount of stress on his condition. Um, yeah, so <laughs> you know, Family Ties, well known for having, um, you know. Uh, Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter Burney as the parents who were hippies and mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox of course uh, was like a young Republican uh, and obviously Justin Bateman and Tina Yothers um, played his sisters um, and then later on Brian Bonsall played his uh, his younger brother so she was Mallory Keaton um, and I think the funny thing is when you see uh, you know, she, she kind of like enters the bar, and when you see Justine Bateman, it is amazing how much she looks like Jason Bateman. Like they have like a true kind of, unlike say, say um, you know, Portia de Rossi and Jason Bateman, who don't really look like <laughs> brother and sister in any way. Uh, something which obviously will be revealed in a few episodes' time for a very good reason. Uh, Justine Bateman looks so much like Jason Bateman. You know, they have such a strong family resemblance. Um, mm-hmm. That, that it's it's you know obviously that's what this this show is playing on, and there are some lines later on in the episode um, where Justine Bateman tries to kiss Jason Bateman, which obviously is a meta commentary on this whole stuff with um, George Michael and maybe it's <laughs> and I like some of the lines later on that Michael says about uh, that particular kind of thing, but yeah, so we get introduced to Nelly and. Um, you know, he, he at first Michael wants to kind of like uh, just talk with her. I like how the narrator says Michael felt a connection like he'd never felt with anyone in his family, um, <laughs> which is such a clever line. If you know who who Justine Bateman is, if you don't, yeah. then that's just a puzzling line. But um, and I like how Michael's story is so boring. It really about is. How, how <laughs> he, he had a locker on the first floor freshman year, and then he talks about how you know. Uh, junior year, they had him up on the third floor with all the frosh, and I like how Nelly is like, "You're bad," and that is wild, and it's just like, <laughs> it's such a kind of dull story. And I like how Jason Bateman delivers it though, because he delivers it so enthusiastically, as yeah. if this is a really interesting thing. And obviously, Justin Bateman is charming throughout um, the episode, but she's particularly like charming here when she's just basically listening to this like super boring story. And I like how this gets so boring that the narrator decides to switch between the other <laughs> characters. And he goes to George Michael and he's just sitting at his desk and he's like, nothing there. 
Uh, and then he just goes to George Senior clipping his toenails and he's like, nothing there. And then we get to, um, you know, uh, the representative, or is it, or is it Adelaide? I think it's Adelaide. Getting I think into first bed. it's Adelaide, yeah. Yeah, getting into bed with Buster. And the music is, uh, which plays on over the end credits is Oh My Oh My. Uh, by david schwartz which is like a kind of great i don't know it's i think it's meant to be kind of like a like a 90s r&b type song that's where it feels like to me yeah like that smooth like slow dancey you're in middle school and your hands are sweaty like that kind of thing. yeah <laughs> that's so but it's such a it's such a kind of well done parody uh and i like how the narrator along with the song goes oh my and then he goes let's get back to michael um <laughs> and then of course we find out that uh, Michael's locker combination was Joe Nameless number, Babe Ruth's number, and then his birthday. Oh, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nelly, of course, says, that's a great story. And the narrator tells us, it wasn't a great story. Nelly was just a great listener. Most prostitutes are. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where Michael decides that he's going to bring her into the business. Um, and, you know, this is this is where um, he asks, how did she she get into this line of work? Now I don't know what he thinks she's doing, but, but she <laughs> yeah. she talks about how you know she was buried in loan debt from business school, and then she says, "So I started whoring myself out." And of course, the narrator says, "Not that there weren't clues." Um, yeah. <laughs> and much much as with Rita and the clues about her, you know, uh, mental retardation. Uh, the show makes it clear that Nelly is a prostitute, but Michael just cannot see what is going on. I mean, to be fair, I'm also in like the consulting business, which is what I think Michael thinks Nelly does, and I would also refer to that sort of whoring myself out <laughs> based on <laughs> just going to these various clients and like being there for a short amount of time. Like, yeah, that sounds right. I could see where he would slip, but basically everything <laughs> else she says is like, also, I am a prostitute. Well, I like as well how she says there were a couple of girls like me consulting over at Enron. Yeah. That is a, that is a, <laughs> like, that's a very kind of like 2005, 2006 reference. It is. Uh, I don't even think that people would remember that much about the details of Enron. No, um, just that stuff happened and now it's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, and I like, of course, how, you know, Michael brings in the consultant and Ted tells us that they haven't even been paid. And, um, you know, uh, we get a, a kind of callback to Afternoon Delight where Nelly gives a speech um, <laughs> and also a callback to earlier in this episode where the narrator tells us she did have a list of won'ts. And she says, we have some ground rules first, OK? No f***ing, f***ing, or lasting. And no Unless you're wearing a or you before you me. But she finishes off by saying, if this winds up on the, the web. And if this winds up on the web, I, I will you in the. And then, of course, Ted points out that our computers don't even work on the internet. <laughs> um, this is where George Michael is trying to have his accidental marriage work, uh, where he says, tonight we could just pop in. And he says Veronica Mars, but they bleep it for thought. some reason. Yeah. And they um, put up a, a disclaimer. <laughs> yes, that's what I was saying on Netflix. It has the disclaimer. <laughs> that says, um, you know, uh, a teen detective show on a different network, basically. Yes. Um, and then he says, you know, just the two of us, husband and wife. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then this is where we find out that um, George Michael 
you know, has bought maybe a uh, the wedding march as a ringtone. And he says, I bought you a wedding ring tone. And then he pauses <laughs> and he goes, opposite of serious. <laughs> um, and I, I like here how we get kind of a callback to, um, you know, there's been some jokes that Arrested Development have done where it's been about people mishearing words. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when Michael promised he had his uh, uh, a nice hard cot ready for his brother, <laughs> uh, or or when you find out that uh, Job, it, 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 there's a there's a when he's talking about his suit in Afternoon Delight, there's two parts of a joke that when you put them back together, they make a, a slightly more obscene joke than would be on air. Um, and here we have Michael on the phone, and he talks about how all the guys at um, you know at the Bluth Company they like Nelly, and he goes, "You mean away though." Um, which you know mm-hmm. they they kind of keep saying this and he, and he keeps talking he goes uh, you forgot to say away again um, and then he gets he gets off the phone and Michael goes Nelly has blown them all away uh, <laughs> which yeah. is such a clever setup for that joke I like how we get here one more clue that Lindsay and Michael may not be twins because <laughs> you know Michael talks about how um, you know she's how nelly is more like him and uh, he says it's like we finish each other and <laughs> Lindsay goes sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> and of course michael has to go sentences and he goes why would i say and Lindsay goes sandwiches and he goes that time i was going to say sandwiches <laughs> um, which is like such a, a kind of clever play on what you would expect twins to be able to do this is this is where we we find out that um nelly has a boss and uh he wants a percentage <laughs> of uh and we see we see um <laughs> we see on the phone frank saying you owe me money i ain't no dummy um it better be soon or you're gonna feel my hand up your and we, he gets bleeped there um, but I, it's basically just those are just two clues as to exactly who he is. Oh yeah, because um, Job is incapable of lying convincingly <laughs> no. in any manner, as we will see. And, and I like particularly here how um, this is where um, you know Michael <laughs> he's he he kind of talks about how you know Lindsay's um, marriage you know isn't kind of working um, and. You know, she's talking about how she's going to go out and she's she's meeting a new man for drinks. Um, and, you know, when Michael is judging her, she also says, excuse me, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> um, so I like how quickly this has kind of been taken on by the family as as kind of a, a way of uh, getting annoyed at people when they kind of judge them. I like when she goes... I mean, if you had to have sex with Tobias in four months, you'd be shopping for a way out, too. So <laughs> you could just the, say no. I like how the seven or eight days at the start of the discussion has <laughs> no. now turned into four months. <laughs> you gotta account uh, for those months with, you know, varying days in them, Darren. You don't want to accidentally <laughs> mess up your exercise routine. This is where the bartender, when Michael goes to, to see... Um, goes to see Nelly. The bartender says that there is a uh, a Nelly at the end of the the bar who wants to talk to you and he sees Tobias. Uh, and this is where <laughs> Tobias says uh, this has got to stop. I mean, flattered? Yes. Interested? Not tonight. Um, <laughs> says obviously a lot more about Tobias. Michael asks if Tobias is meeting girl Michael at the bar. Uh, and obviously, you know, Tobias says he is. And I like how he feels that getting a drink with girl Michael is crazy because he's married and the carbs. <laughs> <laughs> is everyone like. still on the Atkins diet? I 
I don't think they are, but obviously Tobias, Tobias has been going to the gym, hasn't he? So I think maybe that's why it's on his mind. And I do like as well how Michael says, sometimes life is about making difficult and Tobias goes, sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta start saying that. I think that's a real incisive look at life. (laughs) It's about making difficult sandwiches. I want to know what that looks like. What's a difficult sandwich? I don't know. Maybe like a four layer sandwich, you know, like, you know, we've, we're like, th- I don't know, three slices of bread, four different meats, something like that. That'd be quite difficult to... Rare ingredients. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe mayonnaise on one slice and some peanut butter on another. I don't know. Ooh, that's I mean, a difficult sandwich. Um, and I like, of course, how <laughs> Tobias says that girl Michael is here. And Michael goes next to that guy. And Tobias is like, what guy? And Michael is like, that guy? And Tobias is like, no, that's her. And of course, Michael goes... Him? <laughs> and <laughs> and I like how Tobias insists that the name Michael is making him look for a man and Michael goes I think I'm looking at a man uh, and then of course girl Michael which is how the character kind of um, exists in this episode even though it is definitely not a girl um, you know when, when Tobias says Michael they both Michael and girl Michael say yes and I like how when, Michael's, when Tobias says I make girl Michael uh, and Michael says, I'm going to leave you two alone. Girl Michael says to Michael, so nice to meet you, girl Michael. <laughs> you know, I honestly, is... I can't figure out if this is like, not offensive. I'm like, they handled it in such a way where I'm like, I can't tell if the fact that girl Michael, quote unquote, never out and out saying like, you know, oh no, I'm a man or yes, like I am this sort of thing. And like, was totally cool, apparently, with both Lindsay and Tobias <laughs> being like, let's do this. It's like, is this yeah. good? I, I, it's a little weird. It's 2006 weird, you know? Yeah, I think it plays on the idea, obviously, that um, female bodybuilders are, you know, fairly masculine. Um, yeah, and... really muscular in a way that you wouldn't expect, usually, a woman to be. It's such an odd joke. So I, I, I like it is like from from this vantage point, like twelve years down the line, you're like mm-hmm. I don't I don't quite know, uh, like what the joke was, but obviously it's just that Tobias is, um, you know he's oblivious. Yeah, basically. he sees what he, he wants to see. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> you know the actor is uh Oland Olandro. I can't pronounce this name. Mm-hmm. Olan Redjawu. Idewu. <laughs> oh man, I don't Such know. A... Hold on, I scrolled away from like who everyone was. Such a difficult name to pronounce. I oh, think now he yeah. goes by Lan- Landra. <laughs> yeah, Alan exactly. Alan Rawaju. Yeah. Idewu. So, ah, okay. Yeah. That's... Somewhere down the line, he changed his name. That's too many um, vowels for my yeah. American mouth to really get out <laughs> and first go. But basically, I, th- I mean, you know, he's played as, uh, I mean, he's credited as Girl Michael, and he's played as basically this bisexual character who is very muscular and he's kind of like a gym bunny. So, I don't know. Yeah, it could go <laughs> it is... either way. Sort of like Tobias, I guess. <laughs> well, yes. I, 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 it's, I don't know. It's, it's, such a, it's such a strange kind of storyline. And it kind of finishes there as well. Lindsay shows up and they, they both kind of... Uh, like, the whole storyline finishes with... With uh, with girl Michael's demanding that they uh, they give money to Frank, so it turns out that girl <laughs> Michael uh, was also a uh, a lady of the evening. Michael goes up to um, to Nelly's room, and this kind of exchange 
it kind of is about the like if you know who Justine Bateman is, this is the oddest exchange that this show has ever done mm-hmm. uh, in terms of leaning on like incest, where she talks about even though like within the show Michael thinks this is his sister anyway, so it's weird on that level. But um, I like that where she says, I've always been mildly attracted to you. What? Oh, let's face it. There's no denying that there's a heat between us. <laughs> I like that Michael's like, I'd like to deny that. <laughs> and then she talks about like, there's a burning desire. And he's like, I, I, I don't feel anything. I feel a burning mutual respect. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I like how Nelly exits by saying, I've got an outfit that's going to turn that respect into some fun. Um, and of course, Michael hastily saying, respect is fun. Um, <laughs> and as Michael enters the bedroom, uh, we see that the light is out and a voice says, don't touch that light. Um, and, you know, he says, this is what happens when you steal from Frank Stable without paying. You want to be her pimp? you got to settle up. And of course, this is where Michael realizes what she is and um <laughs> we hear that she is a lady of the evening a working girl she turns illusions for money <laughs> and that is as possibly the greatest payoff aside from the ocean walker yes. to job <laughs> mixing up tricks and illusions um you know and obviously michael turns on the light and we see job and franklin sitting in matching costumes which is possibly the best visual joke in the yeah. entire show where they both have these <laughs> the same kind of like it's almost like a zebra print shirts mm-hmm. and they both have the same like purple hats with the little feathers sticking up yeah and it's just it's like what a 70s pimp would wear <laughs> yeah but i just i just like that this is the moment where michael's like franklin is frank and then, of course, we get another sting of Mr. F. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, um, I like how Michael says Nellie's not a prostitute. And Job's like, of course she is. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, this is... <laughs> I like I like how Michael goes... Uh, you know, Job kind of, as a joke, goes, maybe we can give him the family discount. <laughs> and then... Job, Michael goes, Job, this is a sister I've been talking about. And then I like how Job goes, maybe I should get the family rate. And then he realizes what he's talking about. And he realizes <laughs> that, you know, this is meant to be his sister. And he goes, oh my God. And I just love yeah. that kind of moment of realization from Job that maybe he's had sex with his sister. And, um, oh yeah. The transition from the laugh to like the crying face. <laughs> Instantaneous. And just Will Arnett is a master of just extreme facial expression and it works so well and i like here as well that of course um once again you know job keeps insisting that he did things with her and the narrator keeps correcting <laughs> saying he didn't and job as if he can hear the narrator says i did and of course the narrator goes well if you consider crying like a girl doing something um and uh, of course we find out that you know um uh, you know jo- like she likes frank and obviously this is how she hires him as as um, the pimp. And I, I like how he does this thing where he's like, he goes, I ain't so little when I take my pants off, lady. And then <laughs> he comes out of the Franklin voice to go, I mean, obviously, I take some of the cry out of that. Um, <laughs> Just some. Yeah. Um, and I like how he says, you know, she needed protection, so I make some threats. I wear this hat. <laughs> I love how he like, points and he's like, I wear this hat. And I to collect my 10%. And Michael's like, yeah, uh, that's a pimp. <laughs> and, 
And I, I, I just kind of love how Job likes describing stuff and not realizing that what he's describing is what he kind of basically is the opposite of what he thinks it is. And you know, this is this is where um, you know Michael tells Nelly that he thinks that she is his sister. The meta joke there being, of course, that obviously it is his sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is this is why he hired he hired her to work at the office. You know, to figure out if money was being embezzled. And I like that Michael goes, what kind of work did you do? No wonder they were so happy. <laughs> now, later on, we find out that most of them, much like Job, just cried. <laughs> and that there's a, a terrible morale issue um, at the Bluth Company. I like how at this point Michael tells Job, this might be a sign from God that you should change your ways. And I like how Job denies it. And he's like, no, I think that's going to be something big. Um, <laughs> And this is where Lindsay and um, and Tobias find out that girl Michael is, um, you know, was willing to get involved in a holy trinity. Um, and I like how Lindsay denies that they would get involved in a holy trinity because they're a happily married couple. Um, you know, implies that they don't want to have sex with a third party. Um, and yeah. of course, uh, this is where girl Michael tells them that they're going to have to pay Frank. So I like that Job... Because I've always liked that Franklin basically seems to have a separate personality to Job. So I like (laughs) the idea that Franklin has has branched out from just being part of Job's act to being a pimp for a number of prostitutes. And it's almost as if Job doesn't know that that's what he's doing. Um, (laughs) And I like that when, when, you know, Michael finally goes and does what he should have done at the start of the episode (laughs) to avoid all this mix up. And he confronts uh, George. And I, I like how he, you know, he says that's your sissy cousin Larry. Even then, we knew <laughs> that's why we called him Nelly. And I like, I like how he goes. Do you not know that expression, Michael? Um, <laughs> and and then obviously George Senior explains Nelly by saying, "Yes, it's perfectly innocent. She's my prostitute." Um, <laughs> and then of course we see um, we see George um, crying um, to Nelly, talking about how um, uh, why his brother doesn't envy his money. Uh, and he's got the hair. Why can't I have the hair and the money? <laughs> uh, which is a nice little kind of... It, there's very little Oscar in this season. And so it's nice mm-hmm. to have these little kind of... Considering how important he was to season two, it's nice to have these little call-outs to him in season three. I think really everyone just needed a massive dose of therapy. Like, there was just too much crying for it to be anything other than, like, you guys need some professional help and not <laughs> that kind of professional help. Yes. Um, and of course, you know, they go, they go to look to see if the N. Bluth account. Um, and I like how even at this point, while George is checking the N. Bluth account, he's denying that he knows about the N. Bluth account. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they find out that the, the, you know, it's been emptied. Um, and I like how, you know, George says, let's not panic. I know someone who can find her. His name is Frank, and I like it. Michael goes, <laughs> "That's Joe's puppet." Um. <laughs> I was gonna say it's kind of funny to me how quick Michael is to trust people from outside of his family, <laughs> usually to their immediate detriment. Yes, <laughs> like the one time that like trusting his family could, or the one time, but the times that trusting his family could actually help him. Like you know, there's always money in the banana stand. Don't <laughs> yeah. listen to that. Do what you want. I mean, even from the very beginning of the season, he's like, I got to get out of season series. (laughs) It's like, I've got to get out of here and we're going to leave. 
and it's not the right thing to do, but every time he tries to get out or do the opposite, it's the wrong time to do it, which I think, yeah. frankly, set up season four, and that we <laughs> Michael wasn't, you know, the perfect guy we all kind of thought he was. Yes. Um, I think it's funny as well that, obviously, you know, Michael, he goes to work expecting, everyone, you know, the company to have kind of fallen apart again, and everyone to be, um, you know, going to kind of put all the computers into storage and basically fire everybody. Um, and Nellie has actually, you know, she actually said, ha- you know, she had um, loans from business school. So she already kind of told him, you know, that when he wanted to hear that, um, you know, now she he found out she's a prostitute. For some reason, he thinks that, you know, her time at business school didn't leave her with anything. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, she she kind of gave everyone the money from the M. Bluth account. Um, and the, that was the only way to actually get the 10 grand that she was owed. Um, and I like how this is where she says, you know, they mostly just cried. And of course he looks at, um, he looks at some of the employees and he's like, you cried? <laughs> of course they're kind of like ashamed. Um, and I, I like as well, you know, that he tells her that, you know, I thought you were going to steal it. And, you know, she says, but I might be your sister. And of course, he says, "Well, the fact that you didn't steal it might be proof that you're not," <laughs> which which I kind of like. And I like as well that he kind of gets a bit, he kind of moralizes a bit here, where he's like, you know, he tries to kind of like white knight her by saying that, you know, what she does for a living is not a great way to to make a living. And she says, "I make three hundred grand a year." And of course, we get a callback to um, a joke <laughs> from season two where Michael says, "Marry me." And then he pauses for a second and then he goes, it's weird on so many levels. <laughs> it's uh, true. <laughs> which, of course, is a meta commentary to the fact that he's literally just said to his own sister, marry me. <laughs> uh, and that's where the episode ends. Um, and then on the next episode of Arrested Development, Job has a religious conversion. Um, and I like that he basically is doing the same thing as before. Um, and a woman walks out and Job's like, you want to just do the two of us? Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we find out that Buster's uh, fake coma is put to his greatest test. And Representative Van Heusen climbs into bed with Buster and starts shouting, <laughs> don't you die on me. Um, now, the whole Buster storyline with with Representative Van Heusen is it kind of it, it's a call out to a, a kind of very specific um, kind of incident. Uh, which is the Terry Shivo case. Ah, uh, yeah, um, I remember that. Which I, I, I because obviously I'm not American. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Uh, I remember only kind of vaguely hearing about this. And yeah. Uh, I, I, I like the full kind of details of, um, you know, like what happened. I mean, it's mm-hmm. funny because, um, you know, obviously this show went out uh, like February 2006 uh, Terry Shivo was basically kept on life support from 1990 to 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, so for like 15 years, she was on like life support. Um, yeah. Uh, until they kind of like took her feeding tubes out uh, about a year before this episode actually went out. So, um, you know, basically she had been like um, brain dead for a number of years and they just kept going to court and, um, I can't remember if it was um, like her her family who wanted her to be l- like left to die, and it was 
the husband who wanted to keep her alive. But uh, I, th- I think it's the opposite. I think uh, her husband was like, she wouldn't want to live like this. And All right. her parents were like, no, no, she's still in there. So we're going to keep her on these like life-supporting measures. Yeah, and uh, let's see, how old was I? I was definitely old enough to be aware of this. It, because <laughs> it kept going on for so long, like like you said, she was on it for quite a while almost 15 years yeah by the time like it ended and they removed everything and she passed away it had almost just become like a meme or a joke which is kind of cruel now to think about but i mean personally like (laughs) at a certain point i was like yeah if anything happened to me put me in like a robot body keep me alive as long (laughs) as humanly possible and then you know the state of the world now, I'm like, nah, call it a day. Let's just uh, <laughs> cut it out. I think we're, I think we're good here. Like, yeah, even, t- I mean, you know, you, you, like, you argue if they, if they kept Terry Shiver alive, you know, you'd be like, well, at this particular point, would she even really want to come back into uh, this world? Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it basically kind of ended up going all the way up to the Supreme Court, and it became like quite an important. Um, I think the fact that, it, you know, it's part of, part of like the pro-life movement um, mm-hmm. and, you know, there was a lot of kind of, um, you know, like so many kind of like core actions. It was, it, you know, the fact that it basically kept going for 15 years, it's just kind of crazy. Um, but like the fact that <laughs> the rest of development, like a year <laughs> after that happened, is having yeah. <laughs> Buster pretend to be in a coma as like a joke about that case. Um, I guess some people might say that's in bad taste, but I think they handle it well enough. Um, yeah, of course, and that's what I'm talking about. Where at that point, you know, it had been it had been going on for so long, people were like, "Oh, they just stopped paying attention." Really, I can understand yeah. how, from the disability uh, rights aspect of it, it could be a dangerous thing, like to have people decide for you. You know, oh, this is not a good standard of living, and take away your right to live or whatever. But at the same time, like this is why you respect someone's wishes when they have a living will or what they say they want to have happen to them. And that's not what happened. It wound up being a, a pissing case almost between her parents and her husband. And that's awful for like to fight over someone's life like that. Yeah. Although from what I understand, there was no clear indication like of what she wanted. And I think that was where the issue kind of came in. Uh, yeah, exactly. Though I think it's funny that, um, not funny, but, uh, it's interesting that basically she was married for six years to her husband before mm-hmm. she went into the coma, and then she was in the coma for fifteen years. Yeah, so my she was God, like what a in strange the... relationship to have to like. Yeah, so <laughs> you've got you like an almost an almost twenty year marriage where three quarters of it she's in a coma. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, the uh, the representative climbing into bed with Buster kind of mimics what happened with Adelaide, which obviously Buster would have welcomed. <laughs> and this is kind of kind of uncomfortable uh, to watch Rob Riggle kind of doing this. Um, and of course, the narrator finishes the episode going, oh, my, as he sees uh, <laughs> as he sees that happen. And then, of course, uh, on the on the closing credits, uh, we get the song. Oh, my, oh, my um, playing. <laughs> um See, it's uh, so funny you say that because, yeah, that's what it says in, I think, the transcript or something. But uh, when I was watching Netflix, the subtitles for it said, watch us, watch us. Yeah, that's, 
I think that's kind of like a like a um it's almost I I tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like a Luther Vandross song. That's what it sounds like. Um or even it sounds a little bit like sexual healing because that has like some kind of whispered kind of vocals in the background, doesn't it? Um Yeah. Hmm. So there's like you know, it's that kind of it's that type of song. So I can kind of understand how people can miss it. <laughs> what the actual name of it is but yeah so is there anything else that you think we need to discuss about this episode uh, well do you guys have black friday in uh the uk in britain uh we did not used to have black friday until about five years ago and then out of nowhere we started having black friday and cyber monday <laughs> and literally every person in this country is like why are we having this thing this is not our thing why are retailers doing this <laughs> First uh, of I... all, Darren, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, it struck me as very funny that George, uh, George Michael, George took what was a, not a happy event, but definitely something people look forward to. You know, it's a chance to maybe get some something expensive in electronics, anything at a steep discount, and he turned it into this thing that people dreaded. <laughs> because it meant they were getting fired (laughs) yeah i think it's interesting as well because obviously if you were part of black friday you wouldn't know about black friday friday again because it would only happen to you once and then you're fired (laughs) yeah so i don't know i don't know why the other like when michael returns to the office i don't know why they're all like um is it black friday again because if it had been black friday and you'd been fired and, and you know george senior did this as a tactic to fire everybody and move on they wouldn't know so I don't know. It's yeah. just one of those jokes that's quite funny, but it doesn't make any sense because, in theory, none of the new employees should ever know about Black Friday. That's um, true. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what happens when you watch this show too much. Um, obviously, there's also a banner that is up where when, when Michael returns after all the um, workers have been paid and it says, workers love Nelly, which obviously has two meanings. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, obviously, they were all blown away by her as well. Um, so... Uh. Oh my uh, god! But uh, yeah, so um, is there anything else, or is that everything covered? I think that covers it. Um, so um, okay, well then, uh, if there's nothing else to talk about, we shall go to plugs. Uh, is there anything you wish to plug, Amber? I don't have any other podcast besides this one, which I keep tricking Darren into letting me hop on to. So if you want to catch up with me on the internet, I'm on Twitter at a m b r r r Amber, and on Instagram as uh, that inner glow where it's mostly puppy pictures at this point so yeah get on that a lot of dogs it's great i highly recommend it okay and um on the next episode of um this podcast we will be discussing the penultimate episode of arrested development bum, bum, bum. Uh, well as it was on fox um <laughs> and of of course um you know that episode is called Exit Strategy, um, and it it features Job doing some religious magic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, good! As part of his Christian magic act. Um, so even even just as the show was about to end, they're still getting fresh jokes out of Job being a magician, um, <laughs> uh, of course. And you can witness Operation Hot Brother. Uh, <laughs> oh, what a great which, name! Yeah. Um, so, uh, thanks very much for joining me, Amber. Of course. And, uh, otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Oh, my, oh, my. What a name, what? You're gonna make me cry. Oh, my, oh, my. Just you and me.